Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with a guy who's been wrestling with God for a pretty long time, my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Hey, Irish. How are and you I'm, doing? I'm not trying to make you sound old by that either, Father Len. I'm just, I'm, I'm stating a fact. It hasn't been that long, but you, I wanted them to know that you have a lot of experience wrestling with God. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I'm just about to pin God down, so I'm pretty sure I'm... <laughs> well, you're going to get a shot at it today, you know, or he's going to pin you down. So anyway, Father Lynn, we're living in some very divisive times. You know, things like politics and the pandemic seem to be dividing friends and families, and, and it's really not cool. But before Mass the other day, you know, kind of recognizing all this, you address these divisions by asking us to pray that we'll be united together, that families and our whole community will be united, and we'll really care about each other. And you asked us to pray that our country truly becomes free. And I, I loved all that, but then I kind of got to thinking about what it means to be truly free and, and how various people define that. Because, you know, we talk a lot about freedom here in the United States, but it seems to me that freedom uh, often is attached to this idea that uh, we have the right, uh, freedom is a right to do anything that we want. So I thought it might be a good idea for us to kind of grapple with this idea of freedom and maybe how God defines freedom and in your admonition, what did you mean, you know, when you said, I, I hope that every that we pray that we become truly free? Yeah, I love that concept of freedom. And, but my concept of freedom is not really American, it's Hebrew. So the word freedom in the Old Testament does not mean I get to do what I want. Freedom is actually tied to the Passover meal. And at the Passover... The Hebrew were free from the slavery and tyranny of Egypt. So they're free from something, right? So that's a free from. Right. Just give us a little quick explanation of the Passover, just so people that might not be familiar with it, oh, what okay. that is. So they're, they're, the Hebrews are these 12 tribes, loosely connected, but they're basically migrant workers. They're the lowest class in society. And they're migrant workers. Um, and they've fallen into a type of slavery in Egypt. They're abused, they're not treated as equal, uh, and they cry out to God to come and save them. And God doesn't send an army to go against the Pharaoh's army. He says, oh, I'll set you free through a meal. Now, this meal is really important. You eat the meal, you put blood on the doorpost, the angel of death will come over, fly over Egypt. And as long as you're under the blood of the lamb, Death won't touch you. So it's not God's going to kill the Egyptians. It's the angel of death can't touch where the blood of the lamb is. So it doesn't matter if you're Hebrew or Egyptian, be under the blood of the lamb. And you have to eat the meal. And if you eat the lamb of God, if you eat the bread, the unleavened bread, and drink the wine, then in the morning you'll be set free. So the whole meal is about freedom. 
So you eat the meal and you will be set free. And lo and behold, this miracle happens. Pharaoh, in this little bit of a tit, snit, um, sorry, I said the wrong word. Um, <laughs> that happens a, to you once in a while, Father Lynn. I don't know what that means either. He gets into this snit and he demands that they leave the country, which is great. That's exactly what they wanted. And so yeah, cutting the story off after that, they go through the water and they're truly set free. They are done with Egypt. So they're set free from the tyranny of being a slave and Pharaoh. But then on the other side of the water where they pass through, now they're headed toward the promised land. But now they have the problem as, ah, we were free from Pharaoh, but now we have to learn how to be free for something. And so they have to struggle with this new definition of freedom to be free to become something free to be a community free to really be able to love other people free to act with justice that type of freedom that's going to take them a whole lifetime to achieve so on the other side of the water they they still have to keep the sabbath sabbath meal the passover meal so that they're always moving into greater and greater freedom. Um, and God says this, hey, I freed you. Now you have to free other people. So freedom is a big issue in Judaism, it, ritually, in the Eucharist and in the Passover. So just a fun fact, the movie Ben-Hur, Ben means son. Hur is from this Hebrew contraction for freedom. So that movie is really about freedom. But hmm. the word freedom means I can be free from selfishness and from anger and from pettiness. So I can be free to be loving and generous and be something great. And there's this book I read that I really like called uh, The Unbroken Thread. And The Unbroken Thread is this guy's story of coming to the United States. He's Catholic, but he's Iranian. And he comes to the United States and he, as a teenager, he decides, you know, I'm giving up on religion. He became an atheist so that he can be free to have a girlfriend and cheat on her. And I think it's <laughs> funny he said that. And he wants to be free to do whatever he wants. But, of course, it turns out miserable. And he has this kind of reconversion to Catholicism. And then he has a son who he names Max, Maximilian. And he realizes that... Well, what if Maximilian goes up and he becomes a success, a wealthy hedge fund manager, lawyer, and he has everything the American dream has, but he's incapable of keeping a commitment. And he realized that while he might have free from, you know, the Iranian suppression, but he never really had true freedom to become great. And he said, you know, I want a type of freedom that my son becomes able to be loving and generous. So like I too, I want that freedom that the father wants his son to achieve. That's a type of freedom that God wants for all of our God's people, that we have this lifelong struggle of becoming more and more free. The problem is that in the United States, it depends how you define freedom. And 70% of Americans say that they are free or mostly free, but it depends how they define freedom. Because like uh, politically in the United States, the older English colonial definition of freedom 
is free from constraints of what government or other people can force you to do. So there's this old adage, and I like this. The wind and rain may enter a poor man's cottage, but not the king. Like, I love that. Like, government shouldn't be able to do whatever it wants. It's a freedom from excessive government intrusion on my home and property. That type of freedom is about being free from intrusion. That's the freedom from, that the Jews knew from Pharaoh. When the American Revolution started, uh, we banded together and it was to be free from this tyranny of the king and the injustices and the oppression of that political system. But people who interpret freedom as I get to do what I want, that's not what the American Revolution was about. That type of freedom where I get to do whatever I want, oddly enough, is another form of tyranny. It's a tyranny of one's ego. And so the modern definition of freedom that most people use is, you know, I get to do whatever I want. And this could allow one to intrude in other people's life. This means, you know, I can intrude on you and start screaming anything I want because I feel like I should be able to do it. That definition of freedom is an intrusion. And two-thirds of Americans have defined freedom basically in this term, that I get to do whatever I want. You know, it's like the college student who says that they experience freedom now because they can go out and party and get drunk and do whatever they want without their parents' interference. Uh, That is the most immature definition of freedom. And here's the odd part. Just we know from evidence, it's the least likely to end up in happiness. Freedom is a license to do what I want. It never ends well. It's just a form of selfishness. And it always ends in this slavery to ego. And they've done plenty of experiments in positive psychology that, yeah, that kind of definition of freedom is very dangerous because it keeps you less free and less happy. You're always on this, and I like this term, hedonic treadmill. The hedonic treadmill is just, I need one more thing and I'll be happy. One more distraction, the latest fad, the latest video game, one more trip more and more and more. And then finally I'll be free and happy, but it's a treadmill. You'll never get off it. True freedom means I can get off the hamster wheel and really start living. Yet many choose this immature definition of freedom where it means being the absence of being told what to do. But if you think about it, the reason why we create laws is to tell people what they can and cannot do is for a working society. So unfortunately, like I get so tired of that definition of freedom as a form of selfishness. And the third definition of freedom is really the freedom as defined in the Bible by religion, Judaism, and Catholicism. This is the type of freedom of the Passover or the Eucharist. That's what it celebrates. And that freedom is the freedom to become something. So like the word saved, like if you ever meet these people say, Irish, are you saved? Um, yeah, that's always to me, such a stupid question because the word save or salvation, it implies freedom. So it's just basically asking, are you free? Salvation means safe, but it means safe from tyranny. It also implies belonging to a family. So if you're free, you can really belong to a community. And that's a hard question because that kind of freedom takes a long time to gain. You have it and you don't have it. 
So St. Paul says that you have to obtain your salvation. But the word obtain that he uses is written in the present tense, not in the past tense. So what he means is that we were given freedom, but you constantly have to work at it to become more and more free. So when we say that the United States believes in freedom, too often people interpret it just as some sort of gift from the past. But to be free theologically means that we're always working on freedom. We're always working to become more free from the tyranny of selfishness and oppression and injustice. The American Revolution theologically, in one sense, has never ended. The revolution is now against selfishness and injustice that just takes on different fields. So when somebody says, are you saved? Really, in Paul's definition, you would say, I was saved, I am saved, and I'm moving towards greater freedom. Those who define freedom as something that happened in the past really are the ones who are refusing to wrestle with a greater definition of freedom. And the problem is, if you have this selfish definition of freedom of I get to do what I want, that's also in the Bible as well. And it always ends miserably. So the Jews, they do make it to the promised land. But within a couple generations of promising to be free and free other people, they forget that and they start to think, well, freedom just means free from Egypt. And it's just something in the past. And in this odd way, once they define it that way, they lose their freedom from selfishness. They start to become more enamored with wealth and power and they forget the freedom from selfishness and they start to, and this is amazing, they start to own slaves. They start to own slaves and sell slaves and they build a temple to the God who frees slaves using slave labor. <laughs> the irony is just, you know, it's, that's incredible. Their definition of freedom is, no, that's, we were free from Egypt, not free from selfishness. And in their great selfishness, they become torn apart by greed and corruption, so much so that the country is divided and destroyed. Now, later in the Bible, it's going to happen again. So it actually happens twice in the Bible. The country is rebuilt, but the country gets destroyed a second time and hauled off as slaves. Uh, in Babylon, again, because they went through the same thing. It seems that uh, the point is either you're moving into freedom or you're moving into slavery. There's one or the other. The, um, yet, you know, the big big point here, really, and you know, you're emphasizing it over and over, is this the, the, the fairly common definition of being free from something but then free to do what? Free to become what? Because if you leave out that part of freedom, you do become selfish. You don't care about what effect whatever you're free from or what you want to do or where you want to go, what effect that has on anyone else. It's completely removed from the definition of freedom. And with enough people defining freedom as selfishness, it always destroys a country. Look at the great mortgage banking collapse. You know, I just think that was selfishness run amok. They weren't, we were not free from our selfishness and destroyed the economy. So well, my hope, when I said my hope for the country is that we can become free, my hope for the country is not that our economy gets heated up. 
but that we become so free from selfishness and narcissism that we'll free other people. And in this odd way, I really believe that. That means we're going to make wiser choices, not based on our ego. Then our country will be safe. If our country just believes I'm free to just think about myself, that's a loss of freedom, the same way it was for the Jews. And I think it destroys our country. So I just think the real hard wrestling is saying, well, where am I not free? What addictions do I have? So the real question is, how do people experience their freedom? And oddly enough, those people who report the highest happiness say that they're extremely happy. Oddly enough, are those who tend to meditate or practice religion. Religious people survey out to feel more freedom than secularists. 32% feel more free. So constantly, people who feel more free are also ones who feel more happy. And religious people who actually practice their faith regularly are three times more likely to feel happy. Now, the odd part is, I think this is kind of funny, women report feeling more free than men. Married women feel more free than unmarried women, which I just think is kind of strange that women, I actually think in our society are a little bit more oppressed and women, married women have more commitments. So why would they feel more free? Why do people feel more free when they regularly practice religion and meditate? So it's, you know, kind of all about perspective. So totally. um, Yeah. So I also kind of think there's enormous data. There's this book on suicide where this guy named Durkheim, Durkheim collects an army of evidence from various Europeans And he's shocked to find that those who report the most freedom from moral constraints are the least happy. And the opposite turns out to be true, too. Those who have the most constraints by religion, oddly enough, become the most happy. So like those, another survey, those who feel morally free turn out to be less happy. It seems so strange. You know, those who, you know, believe they have the right to do whatever they want, their promiscuity or drug use, they always end up more depressed. So I'm just saying, like, economically, personally, if your definition of freedom is I get to do whatever I want, just historically, it ends terribly. That makes perfect sense. The more you subscribe to this freedom means I can do whatever I want, you're making you, you, the chances of you making everyone around you miserable because you don't really care about them at all. It's all about you and what you want to do and how you're going to do it. You're going to you're going to push yourself away from most people. You really are. You destroy a community. And remember totally. freedom freedom in the Bible sense means that you're connected with other people. And in some sense, I just think our society is drunk on this immature definition of freedom and drunk on materialism and anti-authority, where you really have to wake up and rather than just say freedom is just all about whatever I want to do, the really, really hard part is wrestling with our own egos. Like, where am I being selfish? And so this childish definition of freedom of you're not the boss of me, (laughs) I I think it destroys our culture and our economy and our happiness and everything else. 
Yeah, uh, I, guess, I guess in that definition, we wouldn't have speed limits. You know, you could drive 100 miles an hour, you know, on a on a city street. You could just do whatever you want, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, yeah. So I, I just think uh, with the proper definition of freedom, it keeps our country safe in the sense that, like, the economy is safer when we're not acting selfishly. Our children are safer when we're not acting selfishly. So I love the concept of freedom. My problem is, is that when I hear other people use it, I think it's another way of being a narcissist. Well, I, I, I really do hope people, th this gets listeners to think about what freedom really means and what, and, and think about not just what you're free from, but what you're free to become or what you want to become. I, I just think that's so important, thinking about that other side of freedom. You know, it's one thing to escape from something, but escape to what? You know, where are you going with this freedom? You know, sometimes if Christians think giving up liberties for the sake of others makes them less free, then they don't seem to understand the freedom of the cross. You know, the cross actually makes us more free. Our sacrifices help keep us free. And there's this line that I forever liked from the early church about heaven where we're all like grapes, right? We lose the skins of our selfishness. And in heaven, we'll be so united, we'll be like precious wine. And how we gain freedom now is to lose the skins of our selfishness where we can truly become one with each other. I think just that's the freedom of the cross. Well, the simple thing you're really saying is that freedom to do anything you want equals selfishness. Yeah, yeah, it's a type of immaturity. So I do, I pray that our country becomes truly free. Well, I like it, Father Lynn. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we did this. I think freedom, the, the idea of freedom, the word freedom is thrown around so freely and so easily without a lot of thought put in it, you know, particularly when there's some kind of a discussion that involves you making a sacrifice of some kind. And, you know, your immediate thing was, I should be free to do this because I want to. It's good for me. Well, they you know? never met my mother. She never... <laughs> She never, she never negotiated with that one. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, we welcome your comments and questions. And if you have some thoughts on freedom or some examples of uh, freedom that doesn't work so well, we, we, we welcome those. Uh, you can get those to us easily. It's just uh, head over to our website, which is www.gshow.com. That's www.gshow.com. We have a questions button there. And if you're enjoying the Wrestling With God show, and we sure hope that you are, we hope that you'll uh, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, because uh, it really does help people discover us. And I, I think we should thank people. We're just about to cross the, tre the threshold of 35,000 downloads from our little podcast that started uh, in our church in uh, Boise, Idaho. It's kind of interesting. We have listeners in all 50 states now. And so people are obviously sharing the podcast with other people, and we really appreciate it. So we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life.
searching for truth, meaning, purpose, and real freedom in our lives. Thanks for listening. See you next time.